Welcome back to Buckethead's Land Grant Holy Land's College Basketball Podcast. During this week's episode, we talked to Columbus Dispatch's men's basketball beat writer Adam Jardy about all kinds of stuff from last year's tournament to this year's team to schedule conflicts, everything in between. If you've been listening since our inception, thank you so much. And if you're just coming on board because basketball starts in two weeks, you picked a great week to start because it was an awesome chat with Adam. My name is Justin Golba. I am a co-host with Connor Lamonds who cannot be with us for this intro, but was on the interview, and that is most of our episode today. Uh, just a friendly reminder that Bucketheads is Land Grant Holy Land's only basketball-focused podcast and one of the few basketball-focused podcasts in the SB Nation family websites. Uh, so before we get to our interview with Adam, just a couple, three quick things. Dylan Mitchell, five-star forward. The Buckeyes were in the mix for for a while, committed to Texas. Um, it seems like, per Adam Jardy, about a week ago, it seems like Ohio State wasn't truly that far in the mix for him uh, but he committed to texas Uh, another thing duke tickets went on sale today or when you listen to this yesterday and according to our own connor lamans the cheapest tickets you can get for the duke game are about 60 dollars, and the most expensive are going for 1500 so if you have been saving correctly and want to open up the pocketbook feel free Uh, we talked about that last episode and kind of with adam about how none of the uh, season ticket packages and whatnot were including the Duke game, so we knew these tickets were going to be pretty expensive. They are officially out, they are officially expensive, and the secondary market is even more insane. So if you do want to go to the Duke game, I recommend jumping on that ASAP because they're only going to get more expensive. And also, they released the Big Ten all-conference preseason list. Um, there's 11 players on the list. A lot of people were kind of freaking out about that, saying that's too many. It's not a first-team list, just for people's minds. It, it, it is a all-conference list. So this is first, second, third team, whatever it would be. So 11 players isn't that crazy. Normally, there's 10 players on the team, but they had a tie. EJ Liddell is the only Buckeye that popped up on the list. Kofi Coburn, which was a little surprising to me, was the preseason player of the year. But, um, you know, we talked about this. There's some seriously talented players in the Big Ten. Hunter Dickinson, EJ Liddell, Trace Jackson Davis, Kofi Coburn, you know, Andre Corbello was on that list. So a lot of great talent, a lot of great big men especially. And that will be the all-conference list. So look for, you know, those guys throughout the season. That is all the news we had this week. Like I said, not much. Ohio State has their scrimmage next week against Indianapolis. That is on Monday. And then they officially tip off their season next Tuesday, November 9th, against Akron. So without further ado, we are jumping into our interview with the Columbus Dispatchers' Adam Jardy. Adam, thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. My guess is if someone is listening to this podcast before basketball actually starts, they probably know who you are. Um, so we're just going to get right into it if you're if you're okay with that. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I appreciate you, you guys having me on. I'm always happy to talk uh, talk basketball, especially this time of year. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we kind of basically if we have a question, we kind of go and we look and see if you've tweeted anything about that because we kind of hold you as the highest uh, – source of osu hoops info so we're really excited to have you on and we've been 
talking about this since the summer. Um, well, that's, very, that's very kind of you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, no problem. Um, so we know the season starts soon and, and you've got a lot going on. Um, plus with the kids at school in the afternoon, you probably value your quiet time. So we'll just dive right in. Uh, on Monday, Ohio State's going to play Indianapolis at the shot in front of a crowd for the first time in about 19 months. Um, for you personally, what did you miss the most about quote unquote normal college basketball last season? Um, and how did the pandemic impact your job individually with what you did and how you covered the team? Wow. Uh, a number, number of, uh, answers there for you. Uh, first off, um, I, I just missed the energy. I mean, and we can make all the jokes we want about value city arena and whether or not it actually gets loud or what the atmosphere can be like in there sometimes. But, you know, college basketball is just, it, it's my favorite sport. I love the arenas. I love the environments. I love the passion. And that was missing last year. That that just made for a, a surreal experience. Uh, you know, I was at Northwestern the day after Christmas for Ohio State's game. And that was, Northwestern was rising at that point. It was the high point of their season. And they were both basically two ranked teams. And I'm sitting in an arena watching this game. And it's myself, one photographer, an in-arena DJ for some reason. And that was it. And then the, and the teams. And, and so I'm just thinking to myself, like, there's like four witnesses to this game that are in this arena, and I'm one of them. And it was just a very surreal experience to just have that play out throughout the season. I can't wait to see people back. I mean, it, it just it makes it makes everything better. The players enjoy it more. When the players enjoy it more, then you get better things to write about. It, it's just a more it's just a better experience overall. And I mean, as as the you know, at the dispatch, we're the only outlet that goes to every game. And so in the middle of the, you know, the pandemic last year, I was traveling everywhere. Um, I was um, eating a lot of meals in my car, um, which was a different experience. Um, I got a message at the end of the year from Chipotle that I was among their top 10% of the users on their, their mobile app because I would just, every trip, basically, I would find a Chipotle on the way and that would be my meal. I would just sit in my car and eat Chipotle. Um, so it was, it was very strange. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I got to see what I got to see and got to experience all of that. But, um, give me, give me normalcy and give me in-person interviews and give me fans in the stands for sure. I, I wasn't planning on a follow-up to that one, but just off of that, because of how empty the arena is, did it feel like you were more attending like an open practice kind of deal? Like you're sitting there and, you know, you just hear the squeak, the, the sneakers squeaking and the coaches yelling and stuff. Um, but it's like number two, Michigan and number three, Ohio state actually in a game that's on CBS and there's millions of people watching, but it, did it feel more like it was like an open practice scrimmage kind of thing? Not really. Um, because I, I will, I will give a lot of credit to that Ohio state team last season in that they were really passionate about playing and about getting through it together and about having a season. And you didn't, there was no point where you just really felt like, oh, they're just kind of going through the motions. It was like every day last season was a gift. I mean, you didn't know if you were going to wake up in the morning and someone was going to test positive and then everyone's going to be shut down for two weeks. And so I think there was a true appreciation last season that these games were happening. And that, that kind of bled over into sitting in, a, in an arena and I've, I mean, I've, I've watched practices at, over the years and I've, you know, you get to see little bits here and there and there's a different juice to an actual game. And I think that came across with that team last season that even though people weren't there and even though it did feel a little weird at times, I, I don't, I never really thought to myself, oh, this, this doesn't, this doesn't look like 
a game. That I, I, I never got the practice vibe, really, just watching this team. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that um, someone else understands the eating in the car life as a high school sports reporter. That's something that oh, I yeah. pretty much do every single day. So, yep, uh, yep, and you're always looking for Wi-Fi. Oh, 100%. Um, so, you know, kind of jumping into um, your time with the dispatch, if you don't mind, just telling us, you know, kind of briefly, uh, what got you to the dispatch? And did you did you start there covering Ohio State or was it kind of high school and then you moved to Ohio State? So my, my first job out of college, I was working at, at the Danville Register and B in Danville, Virginia, where I got to cover a wide range of things, everything from uh, ACC football to Virginia Tech basketball to NASCAR to high school swim, volleyball, football, basketball, you name it. Um, it's a great, great town, great gig. I had a fantastic sports editor named Drew Wilson and was there for a couple of months and loved it, but then had an opportunity to come back and work for a uh, for an outlet here that that covered Ohio State sports and was there for a good while. And in 2011, I started at the dispatch as the crew beat writer and uh, held that job for four full seasons. Um, I think it was four full seasons. And then when Bob Baptist retired, a longtime Ohio State men's basketball beat writer for the dispatch, when he retired, um, they asked me if that was a position I would be interested in. And Basketball is the only sport I've, it's the sport I was best at growing up. It's the sport I would say I understand the best. And it just made, I was very excited about that opportunity. I loved my experience covering the crew. It was an unbelievable time. I got to see things I'd never thought I would get to experience in, in a sports writer's life, uh, World Cup qualifying games and MLS Cup and um, just life covering soccer was was fascinating. And I would have been happy doing that forever. But this is now my seventh full season covering the men's basketball team for the dispatch. And um, I consider myself the most fortunate sports writer in, in Ohio. I think I've got the best job. So there is a big game on Ohio State's schedule this year um, with a very famous Blue Devil on the schedule. And his name is actually Greg Paulus. Not sure who else people would be thinking about. Um, Paulus is now the head coach at Niagara, but he was on Thad Mata's staff from 2011 to 2017. Not sure if you had the opportunity to really speak with him too much for the couple years when you overlap, when you were with the dispatch covering basketball and he was still with Thad. Um, but do you have any thoughts on just general thoughts either on the court, off the court um, with Niagara on November 12th? Because that is actually a game that caught my eye with the schedule. And I kind of expected more people to say something about just because that's kind of cool. It'll be his first game um, back in Columbus, I think, since he left the staff. Well, it's funny because I grew up uh, you know, loving loving basketball in general. My dad was a basketball coach, and we always watched and, and cheered for Duke when I was growing up. I mean, among other teams, um, but Duke was like, you know, we would always watch the Duke Carolina game, and we were very firmly on the side of, of the Blue Devils. And so, um, Greg Paulus was a player that, as a family, we all just enjoyed watching. So when I got to start writing about Ohio State, and I got to know Greg Paulus, that was just kind of a neat little perk or quirky. I don't I don't even know what the right word is, but I just that was really cool to me that I got to work with and write about Greg Paulus. So we, yeah, we've, uh, we've kept in, in contact. I got to know him very well during the, the time that we both overlapped at Ohio state. And I mean, that's a guy that has had, if you really dig into it and I apologize, my dog thinks that he's supposed to be eating and he still has two more hours. So if you hear, <laughs> if you hear him in the background, I'm sorry about that. Um, but when, when he, when, when Thad Mata got fired and that coaching staff, uh, had to go find new jobs in June. You know, that's obviously 
difficult under the best of circumstances. And then you look at like all the stops that Greg Paulus made along the way um, to get to getting to where he's the, the coach at Niagara. I mean, he had time away from the game. He was at Louisville for a while, um, just kept finding himself in situations where the, the, the coaching staff got turned over. Um, was at George Washington for a while. And I'm, I'm really excited for the opportunity he's had at Niagara. I think they're, they are going to have a, a pretty solid program. I think that's going to be a, a better game than maybe people expect. And I'm also excited just to see Greg again. Like I said, he's, he's a guy that I have, I've been able to keep in touch with since he left Ohio State and a player that I always enjoyed watching as a kid. Yeah, I think he was one of the guys where when you watch him play basketball – um, it was just, you just knew he was going to be a head coach at some place, you know, it didn't matter where he just, he had that, obviously that coach vibe and, um, you know, obviously him being a quarterback as well in college. Um, so kind of shifting a little bit to something Indiana does every year. And I'm curious what you think about it. Um, you know, Ohio state did a home and home against Cincinnati in 2018, 19, and they're facing Xavier this season. But what do you think are the main roadblocks if they're trying, if they, if they were to try to do it? to create an all Ohio invitational kind of like the crossroads classics that we see in Indiana every season. Yeah, there's, there's a couple, couple elements to that. And and the first, actually what, what's interesting to me is that that crossroads classic is coming to an end. I know we all here in Ohio, I feel like we all kind of hold that in pretty high esteem because we think it's a really cool event, but it's definitely starting to, uh, I think it's kind of lost its luster over the years. I don't know what the future looks like for that, but in Ohio and for Ohio state, especially, you really just look at the fact that the Big Ten going to 20 conference games has a significant impact on what on what the Buckeyes can realistically do when it comes time excuse me comes time to to build out a schedule because you start adding in uh, you know so you're, you're down to 11 non con or 11 games you can schedule they're playing in holiday tournaments now which is something that thank goodness Chris Holtman believes in and it's something they get to do so you you add in you know two three games take that right off the top. You're in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, so you take that off the top. They're they're in the CBS Sports Classic, so you take another one. So now you're already down to like five or six games that you could realistically schedule somebody for. They play in the Gavit Games every every other year, essentially. So that t- takes down another one. You're just you're not going to find too many high level teams that are going to have that many high level games and then take those final four or five that they have available and schedule something high level. I mean you. You need to sell your season tickets. You need to, you know, generate that revenue. And I know these aren't things that, as fans, we want to see. Like we'd all like to see Ohio State only play high major teams every game. I mean, that's obviously going to be more entertaining. But it's just a real. It's just the the reality of what college basketball scheduling is now. And trying to then kind of make all that fit together with well, what is Dayton doing? What is Xavier doing? What is Cincinnati doing? You know, obviously. Um, Cincinnati and, and Xavier already have their rivalry, so they're going to be playing each other. Uh, Dayton and Xavier, Saint, like there's there's already some pre-existing relationships there that make it really challenging. And there's just to me, there's just so many logistics that I don't I don't know that I ever really see it happening. I would love to be wrong and sign me up for any event that puts those four teams in the same place, and I get to watch them all. But it's just hard for me to envision that being a realistic possibility given. Especially, like I said, that that twenty game Big Ten schedule really makes an impact on that. That makes sense. Um, I guess when I was, I, I wrote a piece about that last year, um, just saying that I would, you know, I would love to see it happen. And so you're basically saying that as teams start to put more more beef in their non conference, you just think it's like it's just less likely that you would fit something like that 
like an invitational where you're playing like Dayton Cincinnati on top of everything they're already do, doing, basically. Yeah, yeah, it just becomes unrealistic, really. I mean, because like I said, once you start once you start looking at all the things that Ohio State's already contractually obligated to participate in between you know a, a holiday tournament and the Big Ten ACC Challenge and Gavit Games and the CBS Sports Classic. You know, you're already you're already negating like half the potential non-conference schedule as it is. And then if yeah, maybe you schedule a home at home with somebody, um, like they did with Cincinnati. Um, now you're already you're down to like four or three games that you could realistically you try to set something like this up for. And it just it just it's just a really tough sell uh, when you're trying to put together a schedule to to add this on top of everything else that you're doing. Because ultimately, if you're I mean if you're Ohio State and you play all these games. Uh, or, you know, any team, really. I mean, if if seven or eight of your 11 non-conference games are against high major teams, that's that's a tough road. And that that has the potential to really submarine a season before it even really gets started. And so there's it's just I know we'd all love to see it. But the more I spend time around it, the less likely I think it is. Redirecting a bit back to this year's team and this year's roster, uh, the Buckeyes have been picked to finish kind of in that top tier of the Big Ten the last two or three years, like in the fourth to fifth-ish range, which is very good because the Big Ten's a very competitive conference. Um, but if Ohio State was to make a run at the title this year, which players, I guess aside from EJ Liddell, do you think would need to have like a quote-unquote breakout year? Like, which players would really have to step up in support of EJ Liddell for Ohio State to kind of make that push from the fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth best team in the Big Ten to like really challenge for the top? I, I think you would need to be talking about a situation where Malachi Branham and Michi Johnson have stepped into major roles and have really seized upon them. Like I think that's that's a big thing for this team because you lose so much production from that backcourt last year and. I think, I mean, Jamari Wheeler is going to have a significant impact on this team. Um, but I think he, it's going to be along the lines of what we've all seen from Jamari for four years, where he's just going to be an unbelievable defender and he's going to you know, impact games at that end. And he's, he's going to run an offense, um, but he's not a prolific scorer. I don't think they want, I don't think they need him to be, or I don't think they will ask him to be that. So you start looking at where's, where are you going to make up some of that production that you lost from last season? And I think, uh, I think Michi is certainly going to have that opportunity. I think Malachi is going to have that opportunity. And we don't really know what those guys are going to look like. We saw some Michi last year, but, you know, basically he was only shooting threes and trying to, you know, give CJ Walker a little bit of a breather. Uh, he's going to be asked to be a playmaker this year. Can he do that? And if, if he can, and if he can let the game slow down and play with pace, that's a, that's a huge boost for Ohio state. I think Malachi Branham, is an, you know Mr. Basketball in Ohio last year, and is a is a phenomenal talent. I mean, he's one of the highest rated recruits they've had in in I don't have the numbers in front of me, but in in some time that was a, a major recruiting get for Ohio State to to land him. And I think same deal. I think he, he's coming in with the or with the belief that he's going to make an immediate impact this season. If that ends up being a play fifteen minutes and average around ten points a game. Um, you know, that's, that, that's, that's something. And I think that if, if he, if you have those guys contributing at a high level, that settles a lot in the rotation that settles a lot in that backcourt. And then you can start looking at like, what is, what does a Zed key do this season? How does he fit with EJ Liddell at the four? Um, what do you get from Kyle Young over the course of a full season? There, there's a lot of really interesting pieces on this team, but 
uh, the more I, as we get closer to the season, I keep coming back to Michi and Malachi. I think those guys need to have really big years or at least really solid years for Ohio State to, to be up there near the top. Yeah, and I think the most intriguing piece uh, might be, you know, Cedric Russell coming in. Um, I, don't, I think a lot of people realize just how prolific of a shooter he was last year, shooting the ball almost seven. He averaged almost seven attempts per three uh, from three per game, and he shot the ball 40%, which is a pretty incredible clip. Um, but you mentioned on Buckeye Extra podcast that he didn't look amazing so far in practice. Um, and obviously there's a lot of stuff he has to juggle getting with the team. But do you think it's a lock that he starts at the two, or do you think that Michi or Malachi might start there and, and they bring Cedric off the bench with um, that roster? I think it's a lock that he does not start. I, okay. I don't. I, I actually foresee a very difficult row, road for Cedric Russell if he wants to get into that starting lineup. I just think that the acclimation is going to take more time, um, and I think that's been a little bit of a reality check for him. Um, I think it's going to it's going to require a lot from him. I mean, he's certainly not going to be getting seven threes a game like, like he was at, at Louisiana last year. And I think obviously he knows that, or he wouldn't have signed up for it. But I I I see him as a as an off the bench offensive spark, a guy who can come in and play twelve minutes a game, fifteen minutes a game, and force defenses to to honor his shot. I don't see him playing. Um, a bigger role than a Malachi or a Michi. And I don't think he's going to be this team's leading scorer. I think that, or um, excuse me, leading shooter. I think that is going to be a Justin Arns. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he'll have a role. And I think he's another one of those weapons where he'll probably have some games where he'll go off. And he's had, he's had success in his career when he's played high major teams. But uh, at this point, I, I think it's probably going to be a little while before we see him maybe settle into a role. And that, that to me doesn't, doesn't lend itself to a, to a starter on a team that, that wants to contend. You mentioned Justin Orange, and I'm actually curious, what do you think his role in this team is? You know, he's he's been a guy where sometimes his defense has been a little bit of a liability, but he's also been able to, I mean, I can count a couple games, he's pretty much won them with his shooting. Um, where do you see him in his, in his final season kind of as, as this team progresses? I think he's going to do a lot for this team. Uh, I've had guys say that he's really worked on that defense to where they think he's like a three and D type of guy now, not just a three point shooter. I think that's, that's big for him to stay on the court. Um, You know, that this team's going to rely on him for leadership. Uh, You know, it's not a, it's not, it's not a small thing that he was voted as one of the team's captains. And I think that that reflects the, the level of expectation that is there for him and what, what they realistically think he can provide. I think you're going to see him in some different roles too. I mean, I've, I saw ESPN projected him as the starter next to uh, Jamari at the two. I asked Justin if he considers himself a guard and he said kind of like guard forward, forward guard wing. Um, I think you see him on the court a lot with like in like three guard lineups. Um, he can, he can handle the ball. He can do some of those things uh, that you would want a two guard to do. I also think there's a chance you see them experiment a little bit and maybe he, he plays some four. Um, continue to, to you know stretch defenses and, and spread teams out. I think there's he's big enough that I think that could be a possibility we might see. So I'm looking for a much more expanded role from him this season. Absolutely. And, and Arns, um, he was a guy that, if I recall, in the in the NCAA tournament, in the Big Ten tournament, you know, he wasn't a huge factor down the stretch there. And that's kind of where my next question is, not specifically about Justin, but 
a lot of the time when when teams lose a big game, that's kind of used as a motivation for them either next season or next week, whatever it is. Um, in Ohio State's case, since you've been around the team, sat in on practices, you've just been around them more than we have. Do you think that they are using that loss in the NCAA tournament as kind of clear motivation? Is it something that's been mentioned in practice and stuff, or is it more just out of sight, out of mind, flush it, we're moving on? Uh, sorry about the dog. He's really uh, <laughs> making this difficult. Um, the, the biggest thing <laughs> with that is that there's really not as many guys left on this roster that were part of that. Um you know, there were only six guys that are on this team that played in that game. And one of them, Gene Brown, played like 20 seconds. So it's a thing. And it's certainly, there, there's some motivation there. Like, Michi Johnson didn't play in that game, but he talked at media day about how, you know, he never wants to see that again. You know, like guys that he cares about crying in a locker room because they just had this this horrific loss. So I do think there there is some of that to this team. And I, and I don't think you can just discount the impact of something like that. I know that Chris Holtman like basically met with the guys who were part of that team and they talked about it during the summer and talked about trying to own it and move on from it. And that's been, I'm sure you'll hear that a lot throughout the season. You'll hear guys use that phrase, you know, we've got to own it. And that that's, that's been a real focus um, as far as how they've tried to approach it. But I think it's going to be more a thing that we'll probably talk about more and people who, you know, tune in and, and they watch the Duke game and it's the first game they watch all season and they'll say, oh yeah, I remember they lost that game. Like, I think that's, it's a pretty broad talking point and, and I understand why like, you know, people obviously dial in on that a little bit, but I don't, I, I think that maybe for a guy like Ethan Liddell, maybe there's some, there's some fire there from that. And like I said, like Michi Johnson brought it up, but you know, by and large, a lot of the team I feel like has moved on. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know how much, that will continue to hang over the season. And then I haven't really heard your take on it, so I'm just curious about that NCAA tournament game. Do you think that game was more the product of, you know, the the phrase that everybody likes to use, oh, it's just a bad matchup, it's just a bad matchup, which it was a tough matchup, but was it just a tough matchup or did it kind of reflect some of the shortcomings of that team last year and they just kind of came to a head in that game? I think it was a couple of things. I think that team mentally and physically exhausted itself in the Big Ten tournament. I mean, to, to play four games in four days, two of them go to overtime, uh, including the championship game, and just dogfights of games. Um, that was that was a lot. And I think then you go from that and you leave that quarantine bubble, then you immediately check into another quarantine bubble, and then you start the whole process of now, now preparing for the NCAA tournament. And one of the things that's still dropped like, – I don't quite understand is how a number two seed ends up having to go play in, in at Purdue, which nothing against Mackey arena, probably my favorite arena. I love going there, but I, I still don't understand why. I mean, they had to bus up and down the highway there from Indianapolis to West Lafayette, which is a pretty, pretty boring drive if we're being honest. Um, but I don't know why that, why they had to do that. Like why they couldn't play in Indianapolis and you have, you know, a nine, eight game go up there or some, something like that. Um, so I think that played a factor too. And then the thing that, that it's, it's easy to forget about is this was a team that was playing without Kyle Young. This is a team like Seth Towns was like on fumes uh, playing the most he's played in like four years. Justice Sewing could barely walk at times because he had a groin injury. 
you know, CJ Walker still couldn't do much with his right hand coming off uh, midseason, um, you know, the torn ligaments in his hand. That team was banged up. And you don't want to pin it all just on one absence, but you look at how Oral Roberts was able to make life difficult for Ohio State and what those guys were able to do to put Ohio State in really tough situations. Kyle Young negates a lot of that. So to me, I think, yeah, the matchup was a challenge. I don't think it would have been as much of a challenge if Kyle Young was there. He could have settled things. He could have made it, you know, he could have defended on the perimeter better than what Ohio State was able to do. They just would have looked better. And to me, that's, there's kind of a lot in there. But I think I think the injury thing and just how banged up that team was by that point was probably the biggest factor to me. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you kind of brought that up because I think a lot of people maybe overlook. When, you, when we talk about injuries and we talk about, you know, wear and tear of the season, people say, oh, that's an excuse. It's like there's, a, there's excuses and there's just reasons, you know. And I think that <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think Ohio State was in that boat. And kind of jumping into that wear and tear, you know, the Big Ten is an extremely, extremely competitive conference. Uh, someone who covers the team and who sees, obviously, all these teams, coming into this season, is there a team in the Big Ten or even just on the national level uh, that you think is going to be very, very good but you haven't heard much about yet this season? Um, I think the top candidate there is Indiana. And I'm, I'm in a little bit in, like, show-me mode with the Hoosiers because there's a lot of talent on that roster that – if you talk to people around the league, there's a, definitely a belief there that you know that team could be poised for some really big things just with how much, you know, if you go by like rankings and things, just there's a, there's a lot there. Archie did not leave the cupboard bare uh, for Mike Woodson, but there's a lot there, but I, we haven't seen it from those guys. So is that a product of coaching? Is that just a product of guys not being able to reach their potential for one reason or another? I, I'm not sure. But I think that if you're looking for like a sleeper type of team, I think they're they're right there. Um, and I think there's a chance that maybe Indiana this year looks a little bit like Ohio State did during Chris Holtman's first year where no one really expected too much. And, you know, hello, Big Ten player of the year, Kata Bates-Diop and, you know, Jay Sean Tate having an unbelievable season. Like I think I think that's there for the Hoosiers. I also really like Maryland. I mean, that, that team probably did as well in the transfer portal as anybody. And I, I, I don't, I don't love Mark Turgeon as a coach. I feel like there's a track record there of not quite getting the full potential out of his roster um, just based on how good Maryland has been the last couple of years, but then just, just not getting to that, that top, not getting to the pinnacle. Um, But I like, I like this team on paper a lot. And I, I think a lot of people are talking about sort of the top four of Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, and Ohio state. I think right after that, I mean, I think Maryland is right there. I think Indiana is right there. Yeah, I actually, I totally agree on Maryland. I think that um, I don't know about their depth. Um, I don't know about what they have behind their top four or five guys, but I think that their four or five starters are probably going to stack up with pretty much anybody else's in the conference. So I agree definitely on Maryland. I think they're going to be a very good team and a very hard team to beat on the road. Um one last question before we get you out of here. Um, you've been on the, the men's basketball beat for seven years now. Has there been a bigger home game that you've covered than what you expect this year's Duke game to be? Um, you've seen Ohio State Athletics and they're like, pit, you know, mix and match ticket packages and stuff and like things like that. A lot of those options, they are leaving Duke out of it. Um, those tickets are going to go for quite a bit of money. Um, and the hype has been slowly building so i was just curious um since you've been covering the team has there been a game a home game that's been like more hyped than than this one 
Well, I think that um, I think when you go back to, to Chris Holtman's first year and they hosted Michigan State mm-hmm. on a Sunday afternoon, uh, Ohio State was like they were the Buckeyes were three and zero going into that game, I think, and they were like twelve and four or something. They had some early season stumbles, but they they hosted the Spartans. Michigan State was like number one, number two, something like that. And the Buckeyes just ran them off the court. That's the game. Andrew Dockich hits the three at the end of the first half, banks it in from like half court and like runs into the locker room. And just that, that to me, that was, that was like, okay, you hire Chris Holtman. What do you want things to look like when things are rolling? This was like the microcosm. This, this was the example of all that. You just, you took care of Michigan State on your home court. Um, it was a blowout win, if I remember right, like, 15 points, 20 points, yeah, something like that. I, I was a student. I was in the nuthouse for that one. I, I vividly remember that game. Okay. So that one really stands out to me um, just because I felt like Ohio State basketball had not experienced a, an, a moment like that in several years. It had, I mean, you probably have to go back to Jared Solinger, honestly, to, to where the shot felt like that. So that's the one that sticks out to me. I mean, I think the Duke game – the Duke game will be a big one because I feel like all the you'll have the people that will be there that are passionate about the program, but you also get the casual fan and the fan that you know might not tune in until after a bowl game. Like if Ohio State's playing Duke, they're going to be paying attention to that. That's just going to draw more eyeballs. Um, I wish it wasn't a nine thirty game um, or not. What it's like nine or nine thirty. It's super late. Um, you know, so maybe I wish it was a little bit earlier, but um, it's going to be fun. That's for sure. And I do think um, the fact that Ohio State then will will end this season with a homestand where you got Michigan State and Michigan coming to Columbus. So, you know, what Ohio State and Michigan potentially battling each other for a Big Ten title coming to Columbus on the last Sunday of the regular season for senior day. Um, I think there's going to be a lot in that game. Like, honestly, right now, I feel like there might be more at stake in that game and there might be more um, – that might get more of a rise uh, than, than the Duke game, but you know, it is Duke and it is coach K's final, final season. So um, it's either way, both of those are going to be a heck of a lot of fun. You're right. It is a nine thirty tip off, which means by the time the game is over and the press conference is done, it'll be what? 12, 1230. <laughs> That's one of those go to bed at like 3am afterward type of games. Oh yeah. Not I'm looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to that aspect of it. <laughs> yeah. take a nap in the afternoon that's what i've learned yeah and uh and i'm kind of glad you brought up just the idea of like hopefully this will have some fans tuning in earlier because i always see the after the bowl game you see people okay it's basketball time it's like well it's been basketball time for about two months now but um <laughs> you know i really appreciate you jumping on with us adam um you know as, as we have mentioned on this podcast we are credentialed this year so i'm sure we'll see you see you out there um at some point but um you know yeah, I mean, it's just, it's great to follow you. You are truly one of the best in the business. And, and I, de- I think a lot of people's definitely go to for Ohio State basketball. So it's great having you on and we'd love to have you on later in the season sometime. Well, I appreciate you guys having me and, and thanks for the kind words. I do apologize for my dog. I don't know what got into him, but I, I gave him a treat and he went and laid down eventually. So uh, Grady, Grady says he's sorry. No, we are a dog. We are a dog friendly podcast. So it, it is all good. When, when we had Holtman on, uh, his dog Huck also made an appearance, and he was yes. also not too pleased about that. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a knack for figuring out when we're doing something important. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, well, well, thanks again, Adam. You have a good one, and then we'll we'll talk soon for sure. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs>
again, big thank you to Adam for taking the time to talk to us today. He truly is one of the best, if not the best, in the business, not just for covering Ohio State, but covering college basketball in general. Um, and if we didn't have to cap the interview at some point, he would probably talk to us all day because he's just a genuinely nice guy. And we really appreciated that. Um, hopefully, we'll get him back on the podcast again during the season and he can give you some more insight. So if you are finding us on the website, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and music, Spotify, Apple, all that fun stuff. Uh, Land Grant Holy Land has rolled out a few new podcasts this year. We'll be posting new podcast episodes five days a week at least. So make sure you keep your eye on that. We will be releasing a new episode every Thursday throughout the regular season. Also, just a reminder, we will be providing live coverage of the Ohio State University men's basketball team this season as we are credentialed members of the media this year. So be sure to follow along on Twitter and listen in every week as we will be tweeting photos, videos, updates, everything live from the game. If there are any guests you want us to have on, tweet us at BucketheadsLGHL and let us know. So far, we've had Adam on. We've had Joey Lane, Ohio State favorite, uh, Sports Illustrated's Kevin Sweeney. And of course, if you missed our episode with head coach Chris Holtman, you need to go find that one. That was fantastic. Uh, So if you missed any of those, go back and take a listen. They were all a lot of fun. Um, as I, as I said earlier, feel free to follow our new account at Buckethead's LGHL. It'll be much more active during the season than it is now, just because soft season is not a lot to talk about. And Land Grant Holy Land's main account, which is Land Grant 33. You can follow me at Justin underscore Golba. And you can follow Connor at Lamonds underscore Connor. And that is all we have for you this week. Thank you guys for listening. Go Bucks and beat Penn State. Right, back, right, back, right.